Welcome to Part of the Family from South Charleston First Church of the Nazarene in South Charleston, West Virginia. I'm Paul Neal, one of the staff pastors here at SC First. In today's episode, we'll share the message from the morning service on November 6th. Then Greg Beheller, Pastor Chris Riggs, and I will discuss the message. This past Sunday, Pastor Kent Estep opened the Word of God for us with a message on the Lord's Prayer. If you've already listened to the message, you can skip forward about 42 minutes for the discussion. And now, let's listen to what Pastor Kent shared with us. Are you glad you're in church today? Amen. Glad to glad that you're with us. We're continuing our, our sermon series on prayer, and we're kind of transitioning a bit. You know, we kind of talked about the how-tos of prayer and uh, those kind of things for the first several weeks of praying, and there's going to be some of that how-to that works its way into this uh, sermon as well. Uh, but really, we've kind of turned the corner a little bit, and we're kind of tackling some of the great prayers of the Bible. We did that last week. And talking about being filled uh, to, to the fullness of God. You know, that, that prayer that Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. What a powerful prayer that was. We're going to be talking about maybe the most famous prayer in the Bible today. But I'm going to begin by talking about plagiarism. And you're thinking, where in the world is the pastor going today? But it, it'll make sense by the time we get there. Plagiarism. You know what that is, right? It's taking someone else's ideas or work, their words, their music, whatever it might be, and passing it off as your own work. And we've seen this uh, take effect in politics. We've seen this in music, of course. We've seen it in journalism. Uh, some of you have heard of George Harrison. Um, he was one of the original Beatles, right? And then they kind of broke that band apart, and each of them went off to do their own kind of solo work. He was one of those guys. And uh, in 1970, he wrote a song entitled, My Sweet Lord. Now, don't, you know, maybe, you know, it's kind of Christian Hinduism and Hinduism kind of mixed together. It was kind of an odd song, uh, but it was his, you know, kind of foray into spiritual things. But really, as he wrote that song, uh, what was interesting is uh, that he was sued as a result of writing that song. It was so much like the Chiffon's He's So Fine song that was written in 1963. Ronnie Mack sued him. And he had to pay Ronnie Mack, or his publishing group did, or whatever, $587,000. I mean, way back in the early 70s. Uh, he was charged with subconscious plagiarism. So he had this tune going on in his head. Maybe he didn't even remember where it came from. But that's what, that's what they found, that he had subconsciously plagiarized this work. And he had to pay this huge amount of money. Maybe you remember the name of Doris Kearns Goodwin. How many remember her? I'm kind of a political junkie, so I know her name, and I, I watch some of this stuff on TV. She makes her way onto different news channels from time to time. In 1995, she actually won a Pulitzer Prize for a book about the Roosevelts. But she came under intense scrutiny later when it became known that up to 50 passages in her book about the Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys had been borrowed from another book, and so she got herself into some hot water. I know you know this name, Melania Trump. I know you know this name. You may remember the scandal associated with her speech following her husband's inauguration in which she said this, and I'm going to read her speech word for word. From a young age, my parents impressed on me values that you work hard for what you want in life, that your word is your bond, uh, you do what you say, and you keep your promise, and that you treat people with respect. I don't disagree with any of that. All of that's great material for sure. But the problem is that it was almost identical to a speech given by Michelle Obama in 2008. Melania may not have known it, but her speechwriter surely did. 
Then there's President Biden. We've got to keep it balanced, right? We're approaching Election Day, right? So I've got to be fair and balanced here in my, uh, my comments. He plagiarized a speech by Neil Kinnock, a British politician, nearly word for word, as Joe claimed to be a coal miner from Scranton, PA, in his failed 1988 presidential bid. Even, even the recently, you know, kind of mantra language that we've heard about build back better, we've heard that over the past couple of years, that very language, that terminology was first coined by Bill Clinton in 2006. There is nothing new under the sun. I think Ecclesiastes contains that. Now, all of these illustrations about plagiarism, right, they kind of paint plagiarism in a negative way. But could there be something positive about borrowing words and ideas and even the prayers of others? Might that suggestion even be a recommendation of God? Honestly and practically, that's what I've been doing a lot of recently, plagiarizing prayers in my own prayer life. I read a quote at the beginning of this prayer series that kind of freed me up to do some of that. It was by a guy by the name of John John Bambaro, who suggests that this is the very reason God included so many prayers in the Bible, so that we might repeat them and copy them and apply them and mimic them in our own lives, word for word, doing that. He, He said it this way, We are surely at a loss regarding what to say to God on behalf of another person, or alternatively, to God himself regarding the fulfillment of his purposes in the world. The Lord's Prayer and other prayers contained in the Bible free us and allow us to rest in the confidence of something certain and true. Instead, I love this next language, instead of fabricating something snappy to garner God's attention, Jesus would have us lose all such originality and simply plagiarize at the invitation of the Lord himself. Isn't that freeing? that you can pray the words of the Bible, making them your very own, practicing that in your own prayer life. Specifically today, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. And the reason that the Lord's Prayer was given to us was so that we might use it. Jesus was teaching his disciples about praying, about the how-to of praying. And Luke records that, that, uh, that Jesus' response was really in direct uh, uh, assessment and alignment with what the, the disciples were asking of him. They came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus did exactly that. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading at verse 5, continuing through verse 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who, see, who sees what is done is in secret will, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he goes on to say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... 
your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, some of you have maybe made the Lord's Prayer part of your everyday prayer life for a very long time. That's a great thing. That's a good practice. But it is important that we know what the Lord's Prayer says. Maybe some of you have heard some of the humoristic uh, things that have been said about the Lord's Prayer as children themselves have kind of gotten confused about the terminology of the prayer or misunderstood the pronunciation of a word. And so we've got some humorous illustrations here. There was three-year-old Reese who started the prayer this way. Our Father, who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. For several nights at bedtime, Caitlin's parents were listening to her and helping her through the Lord's Prayer. But little, little Caitlin was becoming impatient. She wanted to pray this prayer on her own. She wanted to do it solo. And so her par- parents listened with pride to her pray the entirety of the prayer until she got down to the very end of the prayer when she said this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. Yes, a prayer shared by many, right? (laughs) Then there's little Jeremy who prayed, And forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) That is analogous. That's, That's actually pretty good, right? We can relate to that. Maybe none of us will botch the Lord's Prayer as some of these kids have, you know, in that kind of way. But it is possible, right, for us to be praying this prayer and just to do it rotely, to to just recite these things without any thought, with such routine that these words don't really have meaning. We can just add it to our morning ritual along with our flossing and our brushing and our combing of the hair if that's necessary, right? But it need not be that way. This prayer can be and it should be a source of power and encouragement and help in our daily lives, especially as we gain an understanding and an appreciation for what Jesus is teaching us about God and His love and His power and His provision in this prayer. Now today we won't, we can't tackle all of the details of this great prayer. I did that in a sermon series that lasted six weeks. I've only got 30 minutes today, give or take 15 or 20. So nonetheless, since that's the case, I I hope that I can talk with you about how God is applying this prayer in my own individual life and changing me day to day as I repeatedly and repetitively do this. In the days in which I've been, again, redoing this practice in my own life, there are periods of, of time where I do this in, you know, kind of consistently praying the prayers of the Bible, and I'm in one of those patterns again. And in those days in which I've been doing this, I've had the privilege of praying this prayer in a crowded airport, but I've also prayed this prayer in the desolation of, of Arizona on a hillside. I've done this at the, prayed this prayer at the birth of a baby and also prayed this prayer at the burial of a saint. I've prayed this prayer when, when hope is abounding in my circumstances and, and joy is apparent, And I've also prayed this prayer when dreams have been crushed and life seems overwhelming. And I'm simply saying that to myself and saying it to you, reminding us that the Lord's Prayer truly mirrors life. Life itself is a combination of the spectacular and the simple. It's a combination of those things which are breathtaking and those things which are frankly boring. Sometimes life is fantastic and other times it's just familiar Sometimes it's awesome, other times it's just average. Many times it's lofty, and sometimes it's filled with lowly things. That's the way life is, 
And that's also the way the Lord's Prayer is. Now, you might say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, the Lord's Prayer really has two distinct parts. It's made up of three petitions in each of those parts. The first three petitions are that God would cause His name to be hallowed, that God would cause His kingdom to come, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second three petitions are quite different, really. They have to do with us, that God would give us our daily bread, that God would forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us, and that we would not be led into temptation, but that we would be delivered from evil. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer in this way, you can see these two differences, these distinctive parts, and you even feel the difference when you're praying these things. The first part of the prayer, again, is about God's name, His kingdom, His will. The last three things are about our food, our forgiveness, our holiness. So the first three things are calling attention to God's greatness. The last three things are calling attention to our needs. The first three things talk about God and His majesticness and His loftiness. The last half talks about us, our mundane, our lowly living. In other words, I'm wanting you to see there's this correspondence between the content of this prayer and the makeup of our lives. Ecclesiastes says it this way, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It is to say that God has placed within us a deep hunger, a deep thirst for something bigger and something better. We know in ourselves that there is something more, and God has called us to be a part of this that He is doing in the world, something very big. And yet, we in our individual lives can sometimes be, be squashed. We can be sidetracked by the mundane and the minutia of the world can monopolize our lives. We can lose sight of God's greater purposes for us. And we can sometimes not clearly see how the smallness of our lives can be connected to the bigness of God's plan. But I'm learning. I'm learning that praying this prayer purely and intently Listening to God as much as I'm speaking, it subjects and it submits the common areas of my life to His control as the mundane bows to His majesty. You see, when I prayed the Lord's Prayer, first and foremost, it's got to be, become personal for me, right? And so even as I'm praying for these big things of God, when I pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That, that means, God, God, cause your great and holy name to be honored. May it be revered. May it be esteemed. May it be treasured above all things. And yes, for sure, may that be true everywhere in the world. But may that also be true in my own individual heart. When I pray, God, may thy kingdom come, I'm praying that God's glorious his sovereign, His kingly rule will hold sway without obstruction. And may that be true everywhere in the world. But I'm also praying personally, God, make that true in my individual heart. May you be on the throne in my life. And when I pray, Thy will be done, I'm imploring God to cause His all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will to be done Again, all over the world, just as it is in heaven, 
but I'm also making that very personal. God, would that be true in me? May I align myself with your will perfectly in my very life. And so this becomes the breathtaking part of this prayer as we pray it. We are caught up into the great things of God. God truly wants this to happen in the world. He wants it to happen in us, in our lives. He, want our li- he wants our lives to be enlarged like that, to be enriched like that, to be expanded and ennobled and soaring just like that, where His purpose, His will, His kingdom comes into us. But two, Jesus comes along and He commends us to pray for the very ordinary things of life as well, that we ourselves might be sustained and strengthened. In verse 11, Jesus encourages us to pray for daily bread. The famed theologian Martin Luther indicates that bread here truly symbolizes every physical need of our lives. And the remainder, the remainder of this passage is that God, the reminder, I'm sorry, of this passage is that God is a loving Father who longs to supply every need that we have. That's what God wants for us, and that's what God is willing to do for us. A a few verses later, after Jesus shares this prayer with His disciples, He's speaking to them more about His Father and what His Father wants to do in their life, and He shares that in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, and it's recorded this way, "Which "'Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone?' Which of you would do that? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? If you then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Listen, this is a reminder, this prayer is a reminder that nothing that we are concerned about when it comes to our needs, God wants us to bring those needs to Him. He doesn't want us to hesitate whatsoever. He's saying, bring all those needs to me. I want to be the supplier of your need. And then Jesus goes on to say that we need to pray for forgiveness. In fact, He commands us then to forgive others. Now, at this point in the prayer, some Nazarenes kind of want to throw on the brakes because of our theology, right? And some would claim sinlessness. Right? Some would claim sinlessness. But here's what I want to remind us of. And it comes in the words of John Wesley regarding this specific portion of the Lord's Prayer, who said it this way. He said that the most perfect, the most perfect among us, have continual need of the merits of Christ, and may say for themselves, as well as for their brethren, forgive us our trespasses. And so we better, every single one of us, better be on guard if there ever comes a point in our life when we are not submitting ourselves to the will of God and when we're not praying this way that God would forgive us of our trespasses and sins against Him. I think I'm in pretty good company this morning. Jesus said to pray that way. John Wesley said to pray that way. I'll add my name to the list and say, pray that way. Here's what I'm finding myself personally. When I'm willing to pray this way daily, at least a couple of things are happening in my life. Number one, I'm sensitized to my own unintentional failings and shortcomings in my life. That's true. 
That's number one. And then secondly, I want to confess this and to say this. On occasion, it alerts me to what might, what might rightly be called sin in my life. And for that, God then gives me the opportunity to seek his immediate forgiveness, right? And so this is an important aspect of our daily living. And this prayer, at this point, well, all through the prayer, but at this point, just so radically calls us to not just speak, to be listening to God as he shines the searchlight of his spirit onto our life to reveal anything that's darkened there, where his light speaks to us and we have the responsibility and the opportunity to respond to him. Am, am I connecting? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So we need this, this forgiveness in our own life. And it's important to remember, even as lifelong Nazarenes, walking in the Spirit, fed by the Spirit, nourished in the Spirit, the Spirit alive in us, sometimes we ourselves sin and forgiveness is necessary. And, and, and forgiveness has been provided, right? Our sin has not surprised God. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it doesn't stop there, just an awareness of sin. That very verse goes on to say that God has supplied this need as well, right? And he says in the continuance of verse 23, You are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Praise be to His name. And so where there is sin, His, his grace is abounding, and you are freely justified before Him. All you have to do is request His Forgiveness. So praise be to God. He enlivens us then to walk in the freedom of his will. And then thirdly, what does Jesus tell us to pray for? He said you ought to be praying for protection from temptation. Deliver me from evil. It's a reminder that there is spiritual warfare that is going on all around us. And so we need to be guarded against Satan and all of his plans and his uh, devices for our life. He wants to destroy us. And so God grant me to walk in holiness. Show me. Show me the way of escape you provided to me when temptation comes my way. That's a promise of scripture. If you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape that you might escape sins, harm, and danger. And so he does that faithfully for us. Paul, all, all of the greats have dealt with this, right? All of the greats have dealt with hardship and despair and temptation. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians. He was under such great pressure, it says in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, he was under such great pressure that it was uh, beyond his ability to even endure, so much so that he despaired of his own life. That's how distraught he was. But faced with such a temptation and faced with such need, what did Paul do? He turned, he, he relied on God who was ready to deliver him. And so I love that language, that word deliver. Paul talks about it there in verse 10. He says, um, he, he says that, that God repeated this message to him in three different ways. And Paul shares it with us. He said, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And so this deliverance language is something that God certainly relates to and something that he avails to us. He says that in your past you can be delivered, in your present you can be delivered, and in the future I'm going to deliver you. This is deliverance and this is God's promise. And so these petitions that, that Jesus tells us to make, the, this is where 
the rubber meets the road in life, right? This is the nitty-gritty of life. And all of us uh, have experienced that. And we need these things, right? We need food. We need sustenance. We need our needs supplied. Many of those things we take for granted in this country. But we need them nonetheless. And we should be thankful for them nonetheless. We need His forgiveness. We need His protection from evil. And I think, really, Jesus kind of brings these ideas together even in the initial word of the prayer. When Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, those are words that we just kind of read over, right? But he's really telling us some things about God in those words, our Father in heaven. First of all, Jesus wants us to see that God is a Father to us. He is a Father to us. And secondly, he wants us to see that he is infinitely above and over all of us in heaven. And so his fatherhood corresponds to his readiness to, to come alongside us and to meet our earthly needs, to remind us that we are not forgotten, that he knows the number of hairs that we have on our head. For some, it's easier than others. That's my second bald joke of the sermon. But nonetheless, that God is aware of everything that we need. And then in his heaven... heaven heavenliness, sorry, it corresponds to his supreme right to be worshipped and to be adored. He deserves all of our allegiance and our obedience. And these descriptions, they don't stand in opposition to each other, but they are, they are beautifully, wonderfully woven together. They are coherent and they are complementary. In Matthew 6 and 32, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about food and drink, and clothing. Why does he say that? He says, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. In other words, Jesus wants us to feel the fatherhood of God and his expression of his readiness to meet our need. Then in Matthew 5 and 34, Jesus says, do not take an oath by heaven, for it is the throne of God. In other words, when you think of heaven, Think of God's throne and His kingly majesty, His power and His authority. And so when Jesus comes along and He teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, He is telling us that the prayer hearing God is majestic, yes, but He is so merciful. He is high and lifted up, yes, that is true, but He also dwells with the contrite. He is the king for sure, but He's also your Father he is holy, yes indeed, but he humbles himself to dwell with us. He is far above us, but he has come to us in Jesus Christ. And so in this prayer, Jesus wants us to see who God is and that, and that he has plans for the whole earth and for the whole universe. He wants us to care about these great plans and pray about them that his name might be honored, that we might seek his kingdom and do his will. But also he wants us to encompass and, and make this a part of our everyday lives, that God cares about us on a very practical level. He cares about our food. He cares about our forgiveness and our protection. John Piper, um, a great uh, preacher, we don't share some theological ideas, but I still read after him, and on occasion I, I like what he says, and this is one of the, those occasions in which I do, in, in his talk about the Lord's Prayer, and I think he makes this beautiful linkage to his own personal life, and so I'm plagiarizing some of his thoughts in my own life, reading this, this saying, this phrase 
um, as a part of my praying of the Lord's Prayer daily. He says it this way, My heart's desire is to be used by God for the hallowing of His name and the coming of His kingdom and the doing of His will. To that end, to that end, I pray for health. God, give me daily bread. To that end, I pray for hope. Forgive my debts, my sins. To that end, I pray for holiness. Deliver me from evil. The great designs of God in the Lord's Prayer are first and foremost. His name being hallowed, His will being done, His kingdom coming. The rest of that prayer is how I can be fitted into those great designs. My bread, my forgiveness, my deliverance, my health, my hope, my holiness are for the purpose of being a part of God's greater purposes, that His name might be glorified, that His rule might be exalted, that His will might be completed. And so my needs, my needs are subject to His supreme purpose. E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary to India, understood prayer, and he understood this about prayer, that prayer is surrender. And I'm copying from him right now. This is a quote for E. Stanley Jones. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. You know, sooner or later in life, all of us are going to go through difficulties in life. Pressures and problems will mount up against us. It might be physical problems, and we may need to pray, give us our daily bread. I need a job. My health is failing. Whatever it is your needs are, God says, bring those needs to me. It might be along the lines of relational problems. And so we might find ourselves, forgive us our debts. The family's falling apart. There's strife and contention. I'm doing an inventory, God, and I see some things that I've done wrong. I need to make those things right. Help me to make amends for those things. That's what that part of the prayer is all about. Maybe it's moral problems. And so we find ourselves praying, God, lead me not into temptation. We may at times feel like we're losing the battle, that we don't know how we're going to endure much longer. Listen, if you've not experienced that, you will. And when that happened, God wants you to pray these things as, as commended by Jesus Christ. But hear me, these, these things, these, these details of life, our needs are forever subjected to the greater will and the purpose of God. Jesus experienced this in his own life. Maybe this will bring it to light. In John chapter 12, Jesus himself was faced with such a crisis moment of how he himself should pray when he knew the cross was nearing. How should he pray? What should he ask for? What request should he make of God. And John records Jesus' troubled heart expressing that excruciating question this way, just exactly like this What shall I pray? What shall I pray? Father, save me from this hour? As a question, what shall I pray? That Father, you would save me from this hour? Should he be praying that way? Should he be praying for escape from the hour, from the hunger, from the persecution, from the temptation? Jesus then answers his own question. No, no. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. And so, Father, glorify your name. 
This is our supreme act of worship, to glorify God's name. Every other line in the Lord's Prayer is subject to its main purpose. His kingdom has come for this. His will is done for this. You've been given physical life to glorify His name. You've been granted forgiveness that His name might be glorified. You've been protected from temptation that ultimately God might be glorified. His name hallowed and revered and honored. Philip Yancey, and I'm coming to a close, was asked one time by Time magazine, how should a person pray in crisis? Just as Jesus prayed, how should a person pray in crisis? Yancey said the first stage is simple. It's an instinctive cry. Help, help, help me. It's the cry of our heart for someone who faces a job cut or a health crisis or is watching their retirement savings wither away. Prayer offers a way to voice fear and anxiety. God wants us to come exactly as we are, no matter how childlike that may be. A God aware of every sparrow that falls surely knows the impact of our fear on our own heart. So that's number one. We cry out to God for help. And then secondly, Yancey said that if I pray with the intent to listen as well as to talk, I can begin entering the second stage of prayer. That is upon meditation and reflection. I can begin asking, what can I learn from this seeming catastrophe? Because a crisis presents a good opportunity to identify the foundation on which I'm constructing my life. And so we find ourselves asking, meditating on, what am I truly trusting in? Am I truly trusting God? And he says this sobering fact leads to the third and most difficult stage of prayer in crisis. Because as he says, I need God's help in taking my eyes off my own problems and to see them in the greater context of God's purpose. And what might God be up to in your life? What a testimony if we would be willing to pray this way. What a testimony it would be if in response to job loss, or economic setback, I determined to find new ways, more sacrificial ways to give. What, what, what a testimony it would be if in grief of my own child's death due to a drug overdose, I gave myself to those entrapped and enslaved in addiction. What a testimony it would be if in the despair of divorce and broken relationship, I poured myself into the lives of the aging bringing encouragement and words of hope. What if in response to the past abuse I've suffered, I adopted or fostered to rescue a child from a similar experience? Yes, such responses defy all logic and common sense, unless, of course, we take the prayer of Jesus seriously and we decide to join him in glorifying God's name, in introducing his kingdom, and in bringing about his will. I ask you this morning, what will praying the Lord's Prayer mean in your life? It's been given to us to use. What will it mean in your life? In the closing moments of this service, we're going to pray it together. And I pray that as we speak these words, the Holy Spirit would move upon your heart 
and enliven your heart and challenge your heart and give you new light this morning on what this means to me. I'm praying the same for myself. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we cannot do better than Jesus himself did. As he prayed this prayer over his disciples for them. And as he prayed it for himself to you. It is the prayer of our heart. We pray that you would shape it to us individually that you would challenge us, that you would call us, that we might glorify you. This we prayed in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. God go with you. Welcome back to the studio. I am here with Pastor Chris Riggs. Hello. With Greg Beheller. Hey, guys. And our technician, Nathaniel Crowder. Thanks, Nathaniel. Um, I, I, I wrote an intro for this discussion. Um, it's uh, it's oh, just a thought it. that's been... Uh, that's been on my heart recently. And I, so I wrote this down, um, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent, a new nation conceived in Liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. It's just something I wrote and I uh, wanted to get out there. So that's uh, nice. I like that. Yeah. Ring the uh, bell on that. that I'm awesome. telling you, <laughs> <laughs> of course, Pastor Kent launched off this message by talking about plagiarism. There's my little, <laughs> my little example of plagiarism. Um, and who ever thought about plagiarism in a positive light? So no. that, that was a really interesting way to launch into this message uh, that Jesus gave us words we can say. Um, and um, so what, what jumped out at you about this message? Well, I think the series so far has been about prayer. And I think a lot of us, um, and I think most of us think about it when it comes to public prayer, like when we pray in public, uh, you know, people are afraid of that. How do I pray in a mm. corporate sense? But I think in general, a lot of us may come to prayer and not really un really know what do I say on a daily basis to God. I mean, maybe when I'm in deep pain or I desperately need something, the cry of my heart could be a prayer. But in general, like every day when I come to prayer, what do I say and how do I structure that prayer? I think it is something that people would probably say, well, what do I say? And maybe it ends up just being, God, this is what I need. But I think there's so much more, especially as we read in the Lord's Prayer, that that could be involved in praying to God. You know? right. So I think it just, I think it was helpful in that sense. I agree. I agree. I, I really enjoyed um, the, the toward the beginning. He said the Lord's prayer mirrors life. Um, I think that's that's an interesting concept. That life is a combination of the spectacular and the simple, the breathtaking and boring, the fantastic and familiar. That sometimes we do relegate prayer to those extra special moments um, where we we really like I desperately need God in this moment. But prayer is also just as important in the moments of of quietness, in the moments where we just need that connection with God, where we need to bring our petitions to him. And maybe they seem like minor things. When I was a youth pastor, one of the one of the things that we had to deal with every week was, you know, prayer requests could be anything from, you know, my grandmother's got cancer to my hamster injured his foot. And, you know, are, 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 are those are all important things to pray about because they're things of concern to us. And God is concerned about the things that, that concern us. Well, it might not be a paradox, but he's, he's God and he's also our father, right? And so yeah. he cares about, obviously, those 
those big things, but he's also very interested in the things that maybe that we would call mundane. Yeah. Like maybe the hamster, right? Yeah. But yeah, he's interested in all that. Well, and I do think there is some element of this to to prayer sometimes that we encourage people that, oh, it's just a conversation between you and God, just like you'd have a conversation with anybody else. But it's not really true. And as much as I may be able to have conversation with God, it's not like I would have conversation with my best bud. I mean, because at the end of the day, you're right. He is God. I mean, right. He is you're, our you're father. Gotta be like, hey, bud. Yeah, yeah, you're not you know, doing it's, that. it's not that. So, I mean, it yeah. is great that he that we see this Lord's prayer being given to us as a way of of structuring something mm. for us and the way of bringing our requests before Him. I mean, I've heard other structures, like I was mentioning before, acronyms that right. kind of right. take that, you know, like acts. You know, well, that's a hard one too. But adoration. Uh, confession, confession, yeah, yeah, I mean, things like that, but it's just a way for us to approach God in prayer. Not that we should be afraid of it, but it just gives us a format to be able to bring our quest before him and bring our prayers before him. Well, and we do tend to make it more complicated than it is. I mean, certainly it is a, it is a, it is a skill and a, I mean, we need to develop it. It's a discipline we need to develop, but you know, we, when I was growing up, we had, I remember we had a guy come and do a Saturday school on prayer. I was like, you know, do we, I mean, maybe I guess I guess it's not that different different from having a sermon series on prayer, <laughs> looking at all the different aspects of it. But I, one of the things I've loved the theme of it is that prayer is just sort of universal in the sense that it it impacts every area of our life, and it's not it's not necessarily something that it's not something you separate out and and work on. It it just becomes integrated into our lives. And uh, so I, I like that concept with this, that, that the Lord's Prayer mirrors life. You know, it, it does. It weaves in and out of, our, of our, what, I, what we do every day. Yeah, and maybe we need to—and maybe this, these sermon series help us do this a little more, of distinguishing different types of prayers. Because there is, there is this—you know, that's something somebody mentioned me this week, was just talking about, you know, well, I pray just every day when I'm thinking. I said, well, that's true. That's true. You can do that. You, and, and, right. and Kent talked about that. But then there's also times where our prayers probably need to be more structured, and they need and personal prayers, not just corporate prayers, but personal prayers need more structure. Um, there's some times where that prayer is just a cry of the heart. There's some times where that prayer is going to be verbal. Sometimes right. it's going to be silent, you know. Oh, and so, right. and so, all of prayer is not the same. I mean, it's not. It is something that continuously is involved in our life, and we're to be that way. But it's not all the same. It's not all. And so this, this, I think this, the Lord's prayer when He's talking about it is just another great. Avenue, another great structure of, of how we can pray, how we can pray and use the Lord's Prayer like that. Because something Greg said beforehand was just talking about how it's something where, um, you know, that it's not a ritual. You know, it's not kind of a thing you that. But at the same time, there is, I think, a spot for us to have a prayer like this where we are kind of praying the same thing, and right. we, because it's the way He instructed us to pray. And so right. I think there is something to that that it's not a terrible thing necessarily in moments, not all the time. But in moments that we have these these kind of structured prayers, and then there's moments like we just pray by the cry of our heart. There's moments right. where we're going to bed at night and we're like, "Oh God, you know, I'm praying in my mind and I'm thinking about this." Right. So prayer is not just one, right. not one avenue. Yeah, you know I mean, right. it, it takes many different forms, and I, that's of course a sermon series. I was thinking about um, just when do I say the Lord's prayer, and I would say. For me, outside of probably a church corporate setting, I haven't said it very much. <laughs> That's true. Right. And so I, when Pastor Kent mentioned all these places that he had said the Lord's Prayer yeah. and, and, and the situations in which he had said those, um, it just struck me that, I, you know, really outside of a corporate setting, I'm not sure. Now, it, I talked right. about that, you know, when Peyton was born was really the first time that I had committed it to memory, really. 
course, I didn't become a Christian until much later in life, but but I hadn't committed it to memory until she was born, and, and we made it a, we used to every night, we would recite the Lord's Prayer when she was little, and made that a part of a ritual type thing that we did every night. Um, but I can't think of, and it kind of just, you know, makes me think about, you know, the importance of maybe uh, interjecting this into my everyday prayer life, yeah. the Lord's Prayer, and yeah. creating some sort of structure with it, and making it a part of every day, and um you know, I certainly thank Kim for bringing to light the, the different times he had used it in prayer and yeah. prayed um, during different circumstances. He he really pulled some great things out. I, I love. I, I always enjoy how Kent is not afraid to to pull in thoughts from other people. There's the quotes mm -hmm. and and to really tie together the the original thoughts he has. He pulls in these quotes and one of my. My uh, favorite ones from this message, Greg, you were mentioning it before, the E. Stanley Jones quote. He was a missionary to India, and he said, Prayer is surrender. Yeah. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to shore? And this last line really, really stuck with me. Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. That ties in with some conversations we've had in previous discussions that, you know, when we pray and we don't seem to get what we want. Um, and that's a hard thing. You know, when you're praying for someone you love and then that loved one continues to suffer or passes away, why is that? And it's not because we're praying that, that God would, I mean, we do pray that God would do what we want, but at the same time, in that very process of prayer, things like the Lord's Prayer, things like the help prayers that he talked about a little later, we, we are aligning ourselves and drawing ourselves closer to God. Um, and is that the only purpose of prayer? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, God wants us to bring those things to him, but that is such an important aspect of it, an underlying aspect that we, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think as, as, we mature, and certainly I've thought about this a lot, that it's not always that God deliver me from something, but that I, that my needs would would bow down to whatever His will is and His what brings Him glory. And so I think that changes um, our, our yeah. prayer life significantly when right. we think sure. about that, you know, it's not just about bringing me comfort. But well, I, I think I've heard somebody heard, I can't remember what the exact analogy was, but it was this idea of praying from the outside in, mm. which is praying, you know, offering God adorate, you know, offering God praise and worship, praising for who he is. And then it almost works its way in, like in the sense of thanking him. And then for those around me, those prayers for people around me. And then the very last thing is for things that I want to see happen. And th the statement that was made was that by the time, if you work that way, by the time you get to yourself, a lot of that has changed. You know, a lot right. of your requests have changed for that exact reason. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm pulling myself into alignment with his will. So if I pray that way, kind of praying, seeking God Outside first and in. seeking yeah. others' interests yeah. before my own. By the time I get to me, a lot of times my desires have, have fallen in line with right. his, you know. And yeah, so. great thought. Absolutely. And then uh, the last thing that sort of uh, I, I just wanted to highlight is the way he sort of wrapped up the sermon. He was talking about Philip Yancey, what, how should a person pray in a crisis? And he talked about the sort of the three, the three stages, the help, the, um, the intent to listen, what can I learn from the seeming catastrophe? And then that last one really is challenging. Uh, the third most difficult stage of prayer in crisis is asking for God's help in taking my eyes off my own problems and seeing them in the greater context of God's purpose. And then he gave those examples 
um, what a testimony would be if in response to job loss, I determined to find new, new, more sacrificial ways to give. What if uh, I lost a child and I gave myself to those entrapped and enslaved in addiction? What uh, testimony would be in the despair of divorce and broken relationship? I poured myself into the lives of the aging, bringing just all those examples he gave are so, and we have people in our church that are doing all of those things. Um, So it is prayer. Prayer has feet. Prayer needs feet. And so we can't just, you know, say the words and, and listen to what God says and then not do anything with that. We, we are re- responsible for, for acting on what it is that we hear when we're praying to God as well. So I, I loved the way that that, uh, that sort of wrapped up. I think sometimes for me in, in this, this prayer of, of the Lord's Prayer, sometimes it's hard. And I, I'll say for, for me is when you're praying it, and especially if you're using it like he was saying, using everything. You know, we have it writ, wrote for us. We memorize it. But in some senses, this would be a great time for you to use maybe other versions of the Bible. Um, oh, you know, yeah. instead of using Hallowed and, you know, those, using right. the old King James, maybe a great time to pull out the message because the reality or pull out some other version because you're like, I mean, it's not really, honestly, it is more about the structure and the form. I mean, he is, there are specific things he's he's leading us in praying for and and praying you know in in that way in that structure so i think it's and there's you know there's some of them like i know the message says our father in heaven reveal who you are set the world right do what's best is above i mean it still holds to the same right the same meaning but the reality for us is a lot of times we can see that maybe those bigger words and not really understand or put our full meaning behind it uh, well, I think if we can get our minds around what we're praying about, like if we can really understand why God is having us pray this way and like in this message help us to that, then sometimes it may not even have to be the exact rote Lord's Prayer. It may be able to be that I start with giving God praise and I start by yeah. adoring God. And then I move on to um, I move on to uh, asking for forgiveness for my sins then I or confession. And then I move on to something else. And it doesn't have the exact phrase, but it's the it's the in- emphasis of that. Right. Know? I mean, like you were just talking about it, it leads us somewhere. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, that's great. Any last thoughts on the, the Lord's prayer? Well, uh, we're heading into Thanksgiving and, and Christmas season. We've got some amazing things happening here at the church. We're doing our uh, Thanksgiving meal for shut-in seniors, and we're going to need lots of volunteers. So you can contact the church office if you want to help prepare food or pack or d- and deliver food, office at scnas.com. We've got a special grief share session called Surviving the Holidays coming up for those of you who may have lost a loved one and are, are worried about how you're going to deal with Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. And that's uh, November 21st, uh, Monday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. and you can email grief at scnas.com by November 20th in order to sign up for that. There's no cost to attend, but we do need to, to know you're coming. And uh, then we've got our, our Christmas, cantata, Christmas cantata coming up December 4th that involves our sanctuary choir and our kids. Are, are we still going to do our, our, our carol podcast where we all decide to sing in a trio to sing the well, Christmas Well, Greg was really pushing Are for we that, do that, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't I'll, know. I'll do it. Oh, so, I, think we do. I think it needs to be a song. Oh, there we go. He'll, he'll, he'll right we, yeah, we need more bell. So, we definitely need more bell. <laughs> but uh, more so than ever at the holidays, uh, we'd love for you to be uh, to be part of our uh, what's going on here. Thanks for listening, and just by listening, you're already part of the family. <laughs>